Welcome to the United Church Podcast. We're a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love and walking in the ways of Jesus. We're striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you're encouraged and challenged by this week's homily. May the peace of Christ be with you. I handed each of them a sheet of paper, opened up a box of crayons, and asked them to draw a picture that encapsulated their dream life together. (laughs) This couple had been together for years, and here they were at a seeming impasse, divergent ideas and ideals about what life should be, what life could be, together. Just draw it out, I said. They looked at each other, then they looked at the box of crayons, Then they looked at me like I was crazy. I sat back in silence and watched them draw with crayons. What about you? If you had to draw a picture that encapsulated the perfect life, what would you draw? How would you depict it? It's not an easy question to answer, is it? And not an easy image to create. For some of us, we draw the perfect family. A world free from cats and familial conflict. Two and a half kids, a white picket fence, dollar bills falling from the sky, success and fame, a bright blue non-polluted sky. For others, you might dot the picture with lots of friends laughing together around a table, a a non-quarantined life, a life of purpose. You might draw images of justice and healing, possibility and opportunity for all, world peace. What would you draw? I remember a few years ago being offered the same opportunity by my therapist. He handed me a blank sheet of paper, opened a box of crayons and said, if you had to draw the perfect future, what would you draw? I snorted, looked at the paper, looked at the crayons, and then looked at him like he was crazy. I shook my head, drew in a breath and said, what? Do I look like a child? (laughs) He smiled at me, sat back in his chair, and waited in silence. I stared at the blank sheet of white paper, horrified at just how blank it was. There was nothing there, and I was expected to fill it. Or at least I thought I was. How could I encompass perfection on one sheet of paper? How could I encapsulate everything in a drawing? The fear of missing something or leaving something out rose to the surface. Why was I having such a visceral reaction to a blank sheet of paper? I was certain I stared at that blank page for hours. I was certain he was leaving me there to wither on the vine. I was certain he'd taken a nap. Aaron, he gently sliced through the tension. It hasn't even been a minute yet, but I'm curious. What are you feeling? I rubbed my face and my eyes hard. It was obvious he could see the tears that had not only begun to form, but had begun to drip onto the page. I looked at him, drew in a breath, and responded, powerless. No matter what I draw on this page, no matter how beautiful or perfect, no matter how grandiose and wonderful, I'm powerless to make it happen. 
It is impossible to create the perfect life, to create the perfect world. But man, if I don't try, if only I had the power. This is the story that we tell ourselves, isn't it? That if only we had the power to affect change, if only we could saddle up to the right people and influence them, if only we could ascend to the right positions, then, then we could craft and create the perfect world. Then we'd be able to make it all happen. We'd be able to fix and solve climate change. We'd be able to restore systems of injustice and racial inequality. We'd be able to create a world where anyone could walk down the street in safety without fear of attack because of the color of their skin. We'd be able to meet the needs of the homeless. No one would be without homes. We'd be able to create healing for addiction and abuse. Children wouldn't be locked in cages, torn from their families in an attempt to escape violence and war back home. We'd be able to heal the world. Tikkun olam, as my Jewish friends would say. And create a world of wholeness. We just need the power. I think that's why I identify so much with Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. Peter had just declared that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was who he said he was, the long-awaited deliverer of the people, the one who had been promised by God to bring about this healing of the world and would usher in God's kingdom on earth. And Jesus says to him, Shh, don't tell anyone. (laughs) Now, if I'm Peter, I'm a little perplexed by this. I'm sitting here thinking, Hey, Jesus, we've been waiting for this, for you as a people, forever. 400 years of silence after the prophets, and not to mention all the years in slavery and oppression we've undergone. Being told that you were coming, and now that you're here, we can't say anything? Okay, but that's dumb. I'm ready to shout it out from the rooftops to get everyone on board with this little plan and draw a new picture. If I'm Peter, I'm a little perplexed and probably defeated. I just declared my allegiance to you, and you're telling me to be quiet. But, bro, I'm ready to take to the gram. I'm ready to create all the TikTok memes and Facebook posts. I'm ready to tweet to the moon and start a clubhouse channel dedicated to this. You know? And Jesus, in his shh, begins to tell them the plan. Here it is, fellas. I'm going to suffer a lot of different things. I'm going to be rejected by all the people in positions of power and authority, the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, every last person of influence, power, authority in this world. They're all going to reject me. And then? And then I'm going to be killed. (laughs) You can just see Peter's jaw resting on the ground, right? The shock written across his face. Jesus, uh, uh, Can can I speak to you for a moment over here? He takes Jesus aside. So uh, about your plan, I've been thinking about that. I mean, it's fine and all, but but what if we tweaked it a little bit? You know, add a little pizzazz out there. Actually works to get the people in power on our side here. We, We could, you know, saddle up to them. Wine and dine them, make them feel important. Like, like you're not really a threat at all, but but actually they're allies, that they'll actually have positions in this new administration that you're ushering in, that they'll have your ear, they'll be able to offer suggestions, and then they won't feel so threatened. They, they won't feel the need to kill you. Because here's the thing, whatever you've got planned, if it's going to kill you, 
then yeah, that's not the right way to go about things. It'll ruin everything, Jesus. There will be no power. There will be no kingdom. In fact, you'll ruin God's plan here. No, Jesus, you cannot die. We have given up too much to let this thing simply be a flash in the pan, to not actually do what we all thought you were here to actually do. I, I mean, I, I think we can still salvage this with the guys. I can talk to them. But, but you know, this martyrdom idea of yours, yeah, that's just not going to fly here. And as Jesus gets this earful from Peter, he turns and looks at the rest of his disciples. And you can kind of just see Peter breathe this sigh of relief, like, oh, good. I finally talked some sense into him. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. What? <laughs> get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. This power that you're after, this power that you seek, that you're saddling up next to, this power is the power that has corrupted the world, and this power will not be the power to fix it, to bring change, to bring to life the picture in your mind of what wholeness looks like. This is a delegitimized power, and it is corrupt and rotten to the core. You see, this power calls on you to want it, to desire it, to sell your soul for it. This power calls on you to use it, to wield it, in the belief that it'll change everything. This power is an idol. No. No. The way that we'll bring about healing to the world, the way we'll see the kingdom of God come, it'll look different. Jesus gathered the crowd together and uttered perhaps one of the more famous phrases in all of Scripture. Certainly one of the more abused phrases in all of Scripture. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Take up your cross. Have you heard that before? Now, here's the thing. I, I know that phrase has been weaponized for a lot of people with phrases like, well, that's just the cross you'll have to bear. As you were told to be quiet after revealing you'd been sexually abused, to keep quiet about abuse in your marriage. It's been used to keep you silent, to quiet you about injustices that have been committed against you and others, to keep you in your place. It's just the cross you'll have to bear. And let me say, unequivocally, that is evil. Pure evil. For it misconstrues Jesus' words as a means to keep you locked in systems and cycles of abuse. You see, I don't think we want to admit this as a church, but the cross was a political tool. You see, we've spiritualized the cross so much that we've removed a lot of its power from our understanding. Crucifixion was a torturous death sentence. Many of its victims didn't actually make it to the cross. You see, part of the sentence was that they would be flogged, beaten so badly and severely that many of them didn't even survive. They didn't make it to the cross. But if they did, they were paraded and put on display for all to see. Your broken, beaten, battered body as a symbol of extreme shame and humiliation. The cross was a symbol of political power, 
of revealing the power that the state had. But, but what's also interesting about the cross and crucifixion is that it was reserved primarily for the poor, for the lower classes of society. And here's the thing. Nothing has really changed when you look at the death penalty in America. And here's Jesus saying, pick it up. He looks at the crowd that has assembled around him and he says, pick it up. All of you, pick it up and follow me. Can you imagine this? A protesting crowd of people picking up crosses and marching down the street together in one accord. A protesting crowd of the powerless, each adorned with a cross on their back. The symbol of state power, the symbol of injustice, the symbol of humiliation and shame. We're going to use their symbol of power as our own. We're going to flip the script here. We're going to pick it up and show them the depravity of their systems. We're going to pick it up and we're going to show them the world they've created with their power. We're going to show them who we are. We're going to show them that when a multitude speaks with one voice, come what may, that is power. Friday was the day of remembrance of the murder of Trayvon Martin nine years ago. His mother, Sabrina Fulton, in her book, Rest in Power, recounted these words that were spoken to her in that season. These trials and tribulations that you're going through won't make you who you are. It will reveal who you are. It's not going to make you strong. It's going to reveal the strength you have. It's not going to make your character. It's going to reveal it. The strength you have is already inside of you, and this tragic event is going to reveal it. She and so many other mothers of racial violence, a long line of remarkable women like Mammy Till, Emmett Till's mother, picked up their cross and revealed the world as it is. They showed the depravity of our systems. They picked it up and showed us the world we have created with this power. You see, the story of the cross throughout the centuries has been the story of the oppressed. And yet we have stripped it of that understanding and simply spiritualized it. James Cone wrote, The cross has been transformed into a harmless, non-offensive ornament that Christians wear around their necks. Rather than reminding us of the cost of discipleship, it has become a form of cheap grace. An easy way to salvation that doesn't force us to confront the power of Christ's message and mission. You see, in the cross there is liberation. Liberation from oppression and systems of oppression that together we can pick it up in one accord and reveal the shameful ways of this world. We can pick it up for one another to reveal the shame and humiliation that this world heaps on those who are not in power and bring healing in and through Jesus' name. Because in the cross is liberation. In the cross there is healing. In the cross there is hope. Hope for restoration of relationships between one another. That we might actually come together as one people with no enmity or hatred. Hope for restoration of relationship with ourselves. That we might understand our true identity. Understanding what it means to be the children of God. A hope for restoration of relationship with God. That we would finally submit our ears to hear his call. That he loves us. 
that he wants us, that he desires us to come near. If only we turn towards him. Hope for restoration of our relationship with creation. That yes, this war driven by greed does not have to continue. That the world can be healed and that together in one accord, as we pick up our cross, we may see the picture of wholeness come into focus. We cannot find liberating joy in the cross by spiritualizing it, by taking away its message of justice in the midst of powerlessness, suffering, and death, Cone writes. The cross as a locus of divine revelation is not good news for the powerful, for those who are comfortable with the way things are, or for anyone whose understanding of religion is aligned with power. The cross of Christ is so much more than what we've tried to reduce it to. And shame on us for trying to take the power of the cross away from the oppressed. And by us, I mean the white evangelical church in America. As I sat there with tears streaming down my face, looking at my therapist, I realized that this is why I follow Jesus. It's the subversive power of the cross of Christ that it inverts the world's value system. That the last shall be first and the first shall be last. It's the subversive power that brings news that suffering and death do not have the last word. It's the subversive power to pick up your cross and follow Christ, exposing the evil systems and structures of oppression that hold the kingdom of God at bay. So pick up your cross and follow Christ. Pick up your cross and together let us demonstrate and proclaim the kingdom of God is in our midst today and now. Let us demonstrate and proclaim that the kingdom of God is here for you, for me, for this world, and that together, together, we can see a healed world a new world filled with love and grace in and through Christ's name. Amen. Grace and peace to you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us at 1316 Third Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.